Hello, film friends, friends of film, and everyone in between. Welcome to the Film Folklore Podcast. I am Jed Props, and I am joined today by Chris A.D. Hello. And of course, our marvelous producer, Justin Sound. Hello. Zoe and Joe are not with us today. Uh, Joe was rumored to be near the Leaning Tower of Pisa with Patty Larceny. Uh, Chris, where's Zoe? Uh, I believe she joined a cult. There's a lot of cult talk yeah. lately. Um, what uh, kind of cult is it? I think it's a sex cult. Oh. Um, you well, that know. makes sense. Uh, so, I don't know. Hopefully she's having a good time, you know? Gender sex or like sex sex? I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I, I don't even know which one it is. But um, yeah, I mean, some sort of sex cult. I think they're based out of Guatemala. Um, so she's in Guatemala. Oh, that's good. Yeah. She's getting in touch with her uh, Hispanic side. Something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we are uh, going into a special episode today. Uh, Legendary Lore is back. Um, and we have a wild one. But before we get into it, um, I want to try a fun exercise. Uh, oh, I should also say I did go to a wedding yesterday. So uh, if you're going to hear my voice sounding kind of Peter Brady-ish, that's a joke that's aging, then um, I apologize. So anyway, speaking of voices, do y'all remember the movie trailer voice? Like that that guy? Yeah. Like, uh, can you do a, an impression of it? No. Oh, okay. What, you know oh, the, oh, the, no, I can't get that. In a world. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. That's the one. In uh, a world. Yeah. No, that, I can't that's, see, that. that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, see, everyone I think has a good version of it. They just, you know, you're, you're a little gun shy. That's fine. Well, I, yeah, I really, I just need a deeper, I need a deeper voice. Um, uh, here's a pack of cigarettes. We'll pause for life. <laughs> um, I, I was watching some old trailers and that whole thing popped up. And then also a friend sent me like a, a joke thing with that guy who's now deceased. Um, but it's always seems like it would be a formula, like in a blank, full of blank, only blank can blank, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so just keep this in mind. And at the end of this, we're going to kind of circle back to this. So just put that on the back burner for now. Yeah. All right. So are y'all ready to hear about this calamity? Yes. Because today we will be discussing the Super Mario Brothers movie from 1993, not the new animated one, drinking on the job, and why sometimes you really should go through a studio for a major motion picture. <laughs> and so uh, we talked a, a little bit uh, before we were recording. Chris, you have not seen this movie. We, we, we watched the trailer a minute ago. That's right. And Justin, you saw this as a child, right? That's right. And you liked it as a child, right? I did. And have you seen it more recently? I have, yes. <laughs> Has your opinion changed? Uh, just a little bit. Just a little bit, <laughs> yes. Um, it's, it's a crazy, crazy movie. It has very little to do with the video game for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, I recommend pausing right now and actually going to find it and watch it and then, you know, hitting play again. But uh, let's get going. So... I remember the movie sucking as far as uh, critic reviews and box office and everything, but uh, I didn't see it till years later. There's also a wonderful How Did This Get Made episode where they do Super Mario Brothers. I highly recommend that. And because of the new animated one that was coming out earlier this year, a lot of new articles have kind of brought the 1993 film back to life. So research for today's episode was pulled heavily from a Collider article uh, from April this year. 
Uh, also an article from The Atlantic, Wikipedia, Variety, The New York Times, all from earlier this year. Also a Screen Rant article from two, uh, 2020. I think I even got some trivia off of IMDb. All those details will be in the show notes, and we move on. So before we go swan diving into the quagmire that is this movie, uh, here's a quick plot synopsis. Two Brooklyn plumbers, Mario and Luigi, must travel to another dimension to rescue a princess from the evil dictator, King Koopa, and stop him from taking over the world. Is, first of all, is, is dictator in this? What synopsis is that from? Is that IMDb's? This is actually the IMDb plot synopsis. Wow. Is yeah. it is it their world or our world? Is oh, gonna, oh, we're going to well, get into that. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> Don't you worry. Okay. Um, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, I, I don't know if there is a way you can <laughs> describe this. Uh, certainly uh, two. Well, that's really just one run on sentence, not even two sentences. But uh, that does not do justice for what this thing is. So this is fun trivia to get out of the gate. Did you know that this was supposedly envisioned as a prequel to the original Super Mario Brothers 1985 video game. Wow. I did not know that. Okay. Because for anyone who has played that game, it certainly has a deep plot. <laughs> right. Yes. So I would love to know more. I wasn't able to find anything. It's the failed husband-wife director team that we'll go into later. Uh, that is something that they claimed in more recent years reflecting back. Um, so uh, talking about background and development for this, uh, do y'all remember a Fred Savage joint called The Wizard? No. Oh, wow. <laughs> see, that movie I did see as a kid, and I loved it. Uh, it it involved, I believe, an autistic kid. Yeah. Maybe they didn't outrightly say autistic, but basically he was really good at video games. And in the movie, um, I think my favorite line I remember was, he knows Ninja Gaiden. Um, <laughs> that'll date it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I believe it came out in 89 or 90. Um, it's a... Uh, uh, there's a m movie poster that we'll post, but you can look at it there. Nice. Um, lots of fun things. Mm -hmm. And at the end, spoiler alert, they showcase the new Super Mario 3 video game. And the movie came out before the game came out. So it was kind of like this promo thing. And uh, Nintendo was ultimately paid $100,000 uh, in 1990 for the rights uh, to have the game in the movie. Nintendo had a little light bulb go off. You know, we could probably make a lot more money if we just made our own video game movie. Mm. And a video game movie had never been made. So that is where this all begins. So now Nintendo of America started license, uh, listening to pitches from different studios. And they were all offering millions of dollars because I think everyone recognized that there was money potential with it. But the problem was that Nintendo was more interested in maintaining creative control. This is going to be ironic later um, with the decision to go the independent route. So anyway, the course for failure was set. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to deep dive into their hiring choices. I, it's going to kind of read like um, Exodus, how you explain going from two people to a million. But bear with me. Uh, so... I just realized I wrote uh, how this vehicle went from point A to a head-scratching point B. Here we go. All right. So uh, Nintendo had the idea to make a more adult Mario story because they thought by being slightly edgier, 
they could reach a wider audience, including adults who don't like nor play video games. Yeah, sure. Because right. never start with your target audience. <laughs> no, no, you wouldn't want to do that. That's, that's silly. And um, yeah, so in comes directing, producing duo Jeff Eberts and Roland Joff. I'm probably butchering those names. I apologize. Um, they already had success. Now, the movies I'm about to say are certainly going to make you think of a video game movie. Um, they're responsible for the killing fields <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and the mission. If you remember the Robert De Niro, Jeremy Irons uh, vehicle um, about Spanish Jesuits and Portuguese and blah. Okay. Anywho's. So clearly these guys are qualified. So they're coming on to actually produce the show. They in turn hired this guy, Greg Beeman to direct at the time. Um, Beeman only had one directing credit. Uh, he had been known for a Corey's movie. He did uh, License to Drive. Great film. For maybe anyone younger or that is possibly, you know, grown up under a rock. Chris, you want to explain the Corey's for a minute? Uh, no, I, I don't <laughs> want to get in that world of depression. Which one passed away? Haim. Yeah, sad. Feldman's band is still alive. Uh, somebody wanted me to go see them at the House of Blues, and I really did want to go. Wait, House of Blues? Yeah, he was playing at the House of Blues. Wait. I thought last time I knew they were here, they were playing at Southport Hall, which for, oh. for anyone listening. Wait, no, that's right, and that makes it a lot funnier. Yes. Yeah, oh, House of Blues man. is like a reputable place. Yeah. <laughs> and they're playing at a hole-in-the-wall bar. Yeah. So Southport it, Hall looks like a bingo hall. I will it, say it that way. I, I think it was a bingo hall. Probably. <laughs> um. But yeah, that makes it hilarious. Yeah. I didn't go. I wish I went. I wanted to go as well, did not make it. Um, I think because we had our senses come to us. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, Beeman had his um, license to drive under his belt. Um, but the distributors did not like that hire. And you're already getting too many cooks in the kitchen. So they ultimately had to let Beeman go. And then they hired a husband and wife directing team, Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jenkel, uh, to direct. And they were known for the Max Headroom show. <laughs> and this is where we need to be a visual <laughs> yeah. at times. Um, I just saw faces fall. Anyway, um, so uh, they came on with the idea that they wanted the show to be grittier, grinier. Nintendo wasn't very confident in that idea. Um, and that is why we're going into the next thing. This is how you get nine writers on this movie. Um, if you're not familiar with our industry, nine writers is not good. We'll just say that and move on. Um, so no one could agree on the tone of the film. Uh, this was definitely like too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, as I said. Um, so keep the Super Mario Brothers video game any of them, in perspective with what I'm about to say here. Writer number one, Barry Marrow, who wrote the treatment for the movie, he just came off an Oscar win for Rain Man. <laughs> wow. Chris just put his eyes back in his head. <laughs> so much has already been explained. <laughs> um, Chris uh, or, or Justin, uh, you want to explain uh, what a treatment is real quick? I don't think we've talked about that yet. I mean, just I, in so I, many words. I, Chris probably knows better than I do in, in writing world. I mean, unfortunately, I, I don't really know as 
uh, I don't know as much as I should, but I mean, I think a treatment is, is basically somebody pitches you an idea and then you just write up a quick summation more or less of like um, the script or where, where you think this is going to go from point A to point B. Yeah, from, that's it. From point A to the end. You know? Yes. Um, it's per- basically the proposal. story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's your story fleshed out, but you haven't written the script yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I think. But you, I think that's what you said. I would be really good at those and not necessarily writing the scripts. <laughs> You're an idea man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, Mara's treatment was considered too similar to Rain Man. <laughs> and he got insulted and left the project. Um, does anyone <laughs> want to speculate how the fuck a Super Mario story could be anything like Rain Man? <laughs> it so, might already be. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking, you know, Mario, he's got to help his autistic brother Luigi through the whole the whole circus and then uh, that's that's what it does. Definitely a plunger. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. That's weird. Doesn't uh, make any sense. Yeah, so in come writers number 2 and 3. This is the writing duo of Jim Genowine and Tom Parker who didn't have any credits. However, they had just sold a script that would become the movie Stay tuned. If anyone remembers that, it's a John Ritter movie. Um, it's one of the million similar stories, I believe, if I remember correctly, where people with like a remote are sucked into the TV, kind of, you know, family comedy, haha. So at least these guys were maybe in a better vein than Marrow. But uh, even though the script was well received, it was ironically a more lighthearted and comedic approach than what was discussed. They ultimately left the project because they wrote the script with the director Beeman in mind, but he had been let go at this point. So a little loyalty there, and then they all left. So now, writers number four and five. Uh, this is Parker Bennett and Terry Runt. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, they were known for the movie Mystery Date, And the producers tasked them with adding a science fiction element to the script. To everyone's surprise, their 3.0 version was well-received by all parties. Sounds like we're ready to move on, right? Oh, wait, no. So back to our husband-wife directing duo. They became bored with the script in the 3.0 version, so they demanded another rewrite. Um, Their note to the writers, Bennett and Runt, was something more Ghostbusters-like. Um. And so Bennett and Run introduced the idea of Dino-Hatton, and this is answering your question from earlier, Chris, a world where the dinosaurs didn't die off and instead evolved into modern times. Directors Morton and Jinkle's demands for rewrites were making the financial backers nervous because the project was getting behind schedule and they hadn't even shot anything and got off the ground. So now comes writers, what are we on, six and seven? So they held up a weight finger and said, hold on, we're going to bring in someone else. So Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet are going to now rewrite it again. I think we're on 4.0. So their first version leaned heavily on a diehard type theme, but no one really liked it. (laughs) They came back with a second attempt. I I think we're at 5.0 or beyond. This one, everyone seemed to like again, and it was good enough to start getting actors signed on. So Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, Dennis Hopper were all attached at this point. And finally, they're ready to shoot. Nope, wait, I'm kidding, they're not. 
With two months to go before shooting is scheduled to begin, the producer showrunners thought the screenplay was too dark and not reflective of the fun and whimsical world of Mario. In comes writer number eight, Ed Solomon, known for Bill and Ted. All right. Mm. And writer number nine, Ryan Rowe, known for tape heads, which I was not familiar with. Mm. Um, so they were brought in to come in, clean up the script. Sometimes they're called script doctors. And uh, try to tone down the dark tones. Um, so now we're getting into the production. So I've actually worked on the new Bill and Ted. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know he was also attached to this, but that also makes a lot of sense. Oh, so it was the same writer? Yeah. Yeah. For the, yeah. For Bill and Ted? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's it was cool. all the same writers that, yeah, they just got together and were like, Let's that's just really cool. Another one. Yeah. Um, so when the actors arrived to begin shooting, they were um, a little um, surprised to find that the scripts being handed out are not the ones that they read and signed on for. <laughs> what? What? Um, that's because of the last two writers being hired by the showrunners to go back and rewrite the script behind the director's backs. And then also this is what is creating all the uh, friction and everything uh, at the start. Um, and so <laughs> under the threat of quitting, the showrunners were forced to circle back to Clement and Lafrenet. Uh, that was writers eight and nine for anyone keeping score. Um, to unchange the script, but instead uh, they got the new number who dis uh, because they were not available anymore. <laughs> so that meant that they had to go back to writers six and seven, Bennett and Runt, rehire them uh, to try to put the script back to an earlier version that um, everyone was more on board for. Uh, and then those guys would end up being the writers for the remainder of the movie. And I think they're the ones that have the actual credit. Um, so all of that said is the foundation for what is coming. Um, so the show was under constant rewrites. This happened at such a frequency that the actors stopped trying to memorize lines and started improvising. In fact, Richard Edson and Fisher Stevens, who played Spike and Iggy, improvised 100% of their lines. Good Lord. Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo began showing up drunk to set and were drinking daily to cope with the production. Hoskins broke his finger in the van door uh, that was like the hero car um, when Leguizamo took off too fast and the sliding door slammed shut on his finger. Uh, it might have been the front door. I don't know. I couldn't find. Anyway, uh, because of this, he wore a cast for a large part of the movie and they tried to hide it under a sleeve. Why bother with the way everything else is going? But... Anyway, Hoskins would later claim uh, that he almost died twice during production. And uh, in an interview, uh, I quote, if you're going to survive this film, you're going to have to be very, very careful. I got stabbed four times, electrocuted, broke a finger, nearly got drowned. <laughs> End quote. Let that sit for a second. Because the next thing is John Leguizamo broke his leg after being hit by a car, allegedly. Uh, uh, oh, uh, allegedly because he stumbled in front of it because he was drunk. Um, his cast and Hoskins' cast are viewable in some shots. So this is a movie where your two lead actors have casts on <laughs> due to injury that's, on the show. That's something. 
Oh, my God. So uh, Bob Hoskins and Dennis Hopper would both go on later to say that Super Mario Brothers was the worst movie they ever worked on. So at this point, no one above the line is talking to each other, and the writers are having to play middleman between all the parties. Uh, and just a refresher on above the line, uh, that's your actors, your directors, your producers, <laughs> and your writers. Um, so Nintendo became the least vocal. So remember that whole thing about creative control? Well, that sort of, anyway. Um, Things had become so toxic that Dennis Hopper chewed out the producers and the hubby wife director duo for three straight hours. <laughs> I kind of wish we were there for that. That They could have literally just shot that and that would have been much more interesting. Three hours. That would have been great footage. I, yeah, that would have been great. It would have been awesome. That seems just, I don't know, that just seems so obvious like something like that would happen. I like the yeah. idea that there's a moment where he says... Nobody go anywhere. I got to go take a leak. And then he comes back and just resumes yelling. <laughs> and they're still there. And I mean, like, I don't know. When I get yelled at for like, you know, five minutes, it's like, okay, okay we got to wrap this up. This is, <laughs> we're good. Um, so let's see. Everything was so bad that even uh, directors Morton and Jenkel were not on the same page. And we're about to... Uh, have some cringe moments because um, this is getting into crew issues. Uh, so if what I've said so far isn't already cringeworthy, wait till you hear this. Because the crew was getting conflicting notes paired with increasing frustration, and uh, let's all keep in mind that shit rolls downhill, uh, so the directors were giving mixed notes um, to people. So crew members started rushing to complete tasks before a note change or altogether a new note could come. And I imagine that to be like, if the grips were tasked to build a stage or a platform or something for like a camera positioning or something like that, then they would hurry up and build it before they had the chance to change either the dimensions of that stage or say, no, I meant to put, say, build it over here. Or why are you guys building a stage at all? I didn't want a stage. So I have a feeling it's stuff like that. Um, I do like the strategy, you know, uh, if you're going to be on a shit show, then maybe just hurry up and do what you were told because then you get to go, I, I dude, it's already built. Look at it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's the, I don't know. Um, so we've talked about safety on this show. Chris, as an AD, AD department is technically in charge of safety. How does rushing things tend to go? Uh, really fucking badly. <laughs> All right. Well, here's how rushing things and also drinking on the job. Um, that always works out really well. Yeah. So an electrician almost died when he grabbed a charged lever and he had to be actually kicked off the lever because he was dying on it. A stuntman's pants caught fire when a stray spark landed on him. Why he was wearing his lucky extra flammable pants, I don't know. But uh, that was a joke. I hope people know that. Uh, this was one of the worst things I found. Co-director and husband, Rocky Morton, poured hot coffee on a background extra because he didn't think he was dirty enough. Nice. Yeah. Um, that would work well today. Well, you know, it's funny. Yeah. You know, there's a different universe where a woman gets a you know, scalding coffee on her crotch and she gets $2 million. And this background extra probably got 40 bucks and a lunch. 
Was so, that all she got? Was two million dollars? I believe it was two million, but that was also long ago enough that that's probably decent yeah. decent money now. Yeah, it might have been more than two. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Somebody write us and tell us. <laughs> so, this is kind of this is more of the crazy. So the show was supposed to be a ten week shoot. It ended up being a fifteen week shoot. Not like horrifically bad, but just normal bad, maybe. Yeah. So the last three weeks, Morton and Jenkel were not allowed to direct any reshoots. They were not allowed in the editing room. And maybe justifiably, after learning about the coffee incident, they deserved it. Uh, so that can be up for debate. They were dismissed and their careers were over. I'm going to quote Dennis Hopper. The directors won't give interviews. That's the smartest thing I've heard from them. That's the only intelligent thing I've heard that they've really actually done, end quote. Um, unfortunately, Dennis Hopper is not with us today to be more clear, so we'll not know his true feelings. Uh, we'll have to <laughs> speculate <laughs> and read between the lines. Um, but uh, yeah, it was pretty clear that uh, a lot of animosity. So uh, we talked about it a little bit before we started, but I, I do want to be clear I did read a lot of defending of Morton and Jenkel, but I, just as a crew person and as a human, if the hot coffee thing is really absolutely true, then I'm sorry. Like, fuck those people. I mean, that's that's like that should be a lawsuit. Sure. I like I yeah. It, anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's a well yeah more than a lawsuit that's assault. That's, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's just. I mean. Like if 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 they come back and they go, it wasn't that hot, and you're like, oh, okay, well, never mind then. <laughs> like it's, it's, so we're not talking like third degree burns. We're just saying uh, that you still poured a hot ish coffee on. It. There's not a good anyway. No, this was ninety three. Uh, ninety three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Well, and we were all much younger then, but that was a time period where it was quite a fad to pour hot coffee on people. Um, it, the kids were really into it. <laughs> <laughs> and just don't, to be clear, I, what don't we're mad don't don't remember that. <laughs> what we're mad about is 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 not not getting poured is is that it's that's a that's a makeup job, not director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, I, I didn't even think about that. That's a that's a craft violation. A craft violation. <laughs> and and how does pouring any temperature of coffee on a person help them dirty up? <laughs> um uh I was actually talking with uh, Amy um, makeup uh, at at a wedding uh, yesterday, and uh, she was talking about what kind of dirt are we talking about when people say dirty up? She's like, are we talking chimney sweep dirt? Are we talking like, you know, living outdoors dirt? We talk-? And I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing because we'll, we'll try to get her or some other makeup people in. But yeah, it's like there are different degrees of that. And yeah. Rather than pour coffee, you could just give notes to that appropriate person, and then they can go do what you would like them to do. With all kinds of options. <laughs> that's, uh, that's how it normally yeah, works. That is. So the movie cost $48 million, and um, that's $102 million in today money. And any guesses to uh, how it performed? $10 million. A little bit more than that. It, it it was able to get a little less than half of its money back. Okay. Uh, I, I think it was around twenty million is what it, it it had grossed. That's crazy. I wonder how much the the newer Mario movie cost. Oh, I'm sure. Well, cost wise, 
it probably wasn't as bad because it's an animation. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but it definitely made more money. Yeah. Um, and you know the weirdest thing, they made a movie for kids, like like a target audience for kids that like Mario. It's it, anyway, that's crazy. Um, very avant garde <laughs> producing. Uh, so, <laughs> um, uh, I wanted to bring up some some random trivia for this. One of the last things uh, Nintendo did to try and desperately hold on to creative control, uh, Morton and Jenkel didn't even want to have Mario and Luigi in their iconic red and green outfits. And that was one of the last things that Nintendo put their foot down. It's like, at least put them in the colored outfits. Yeah. Um, so they did end up with the colored outfits. They weren't dirty enough. They, they, but they weren't dirty enough. So... Another great Dennis Hopper quote. Dennis Hopper had some amazing quotes in reference to this movie. Um, so this is explaining why he did the film at all. Dennis Hopper said, quote, my six-year-old son at the time, he's now 18. He said, dad, I think you're probably a pretty good actor, but why did you play that terrible guy, King Koopa, in Super Mario Brothers? And I said, well, Henry, I did that so you could have shoes. <laughs> and he said, dad... I don't need shoes that badly, <laughs> end quote. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, uh, other fun random trivia. Do you remember that uh, Die Hard draft I mentioned? Uh, that yeah, they wanted yeah. it to be I think that was hardy. maybe 2.0 or 3.0, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, in that draft, apparently, they wrote in a cameo where Bruce Willis would tunnel into Bowser's castle via an air duct. As John McClane. As John McClane. Because that crossover makes sense. Totally. Another uh, hint that things were uh, toxic at a level that uh, we don't see often. Crew shirts were being made during production with derogatory references to Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jenkel. Uh, so clearly the crew really liked the directing duo. Bob Hoskins referred to them throughout the uh, filming as the cunt and the cow. Mm. Uh, <laughs> well, I can you imagine like, like if you are the director or then you don't have to be the director. And then you just realize there's people walking around with shirts that are attacking you on the job you're doing. I mean, oh, my God. I mean, I, it's, it's, I would I would like to see it. But uh, no, I mean, I can't really. That, that's pretty wild. They're walking around with a shirt that just says that. I believe so. Yeah. And then the you know, director comes up. Hey, what, what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> oh, it's hey. a band. <laughs> Don't you know the cunt and the cow? It's, it's my band, actually. <laughs> it's a great band. They don't all... perform at all. Um, <laughs> but you're going to see this T-shirt a lot. Yeah. They're, they're an Aussie band, to be clear. Um <laughs> That makes it the C word acceptable. Um, so uh, with everything I have told you guys so far, what, what can we gather here? Like what, what are your thoughts to, to this production going an indie route? Um, and, and Chris, Chris, actually, maybe that's something worth saying is when I, when I was referring to the studio route versus the indie route earlier, um, because this is a major, major production, um, can you speak a little bit to to why you would typically go the studio route versus the indie route? 
Uh, I mean, it's there's there's a lot of factors into that, and I mean, I don't really know a lot of them. But I mean, when you say indie, it was not DGA. It was not. Um, did they get waivers? Well, or? that that I'm not sure about. I'm not sure as far as the the contract signings, uh -huh. but as far as having a studio backing, because of that whole thing of Nintendo wanting the the creative control, they felt that let's say if Paramount was involved, that Paramount would try to to step on too many toes, even though maybe in that scenario Nintendo wouldn't have to foot as much of the bill. I mean, it, it sounds like um, if that was what went down, then it just sounds like Nintendo was like, cool, we'll do it. And we're totally going to have our thumbprint on this. And then they just did not because that's not what they do. And then they, they have these people who are not qualified to direct this movie and they don't know what they're doing. And then it became this amalgamation of nobody knows what they're doing. So this is, and I mean, like, there's a lot of times when having a studio presence is, is really, from my point of view, a hindrance. You know, it can really get in the way. Um, but this is a time when it seems like it would have been really good if they were there. Right. We usually talk about, we talk more about studios being in the way than than we than the opposite. Like, usually you're, you're kind of pro-indie. Yeah. Um, sure. But... An, an indie route is better served probably with like your $5 million good idea project. With a very clear vision from one guy. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, I can actually say I worked on a movie called Blaze. Um, and uh, shout out to, uh, well, I could shout out to several people. But uh, Ethan Hawke, uh, Sybil Rose and Ben Dickey. Uh, Alia Shawkat, Josh Hamilton, everyone was awesome. And they did not want to go a studio route in that because uh, Ethan wanted live music performances with people actually playing instruments. And if he had gone the studio route, they would have wanted to put their people, their actors, their, and he wouldn't have been able to achieve that. And Ben Dickey, uh, did this amazing job. It, it's a, um, a bio, biopic, biopic. I never know how to say it. Uh, but anyway, uh, country music guy, Blaze Foley, if you don't know him, go look him up. Great musician. Um, and Ben just nailed the part. But if they had been with the studio, that he wouldn't have been able to even be in the role. You know, they would have been like, well, you need, uh, you know, I don't know, Kurt Russell to do it. And I'm um, sure why not. The flip side of that was that it was also non-union kind of like going back to your question right. earlier. So yeah. in that world, it was, I don't think, I don't think there was any union contracts on that show now that I think about it. Hmm. And, you know, it was truly a labor of love and the end result was great. But, you know, for us as crew, sure would have been nice to get a little bit more money because that did not pay well. Yeah. So that's, a bummer. that's the worst thing about a labor of love. When we hear that, we mean, oh, so there's no money. So <laughs> when you're when you're giving us a heads up that this is a real, you know, uh, uh, salt of the earth people that we're, we just really love this story and we're we want to we want everybody to be on board with the story and it's like that's great I want to be on board with your story I also need to like pay my rent yeah <laughs> so there's that yeah 
And uh, since since I'm on a soapbox suddenly, we we also don't see anything when shows are done and have success. So upon a movie doing really well, and the first thing that pops in my mind is Get Out was a $4 million movie that made over $200 million worldwide. And it's not like they went back and said, hey, everybody, you guys nailed it. That show was great. Yep. Here's an extra Christmas bonus for you guys. Nope. And being that that's Blumhouse, they also have a tendency to go, holy shit, we just made you know, $200 million. So let's keep trying to do that. So we'll just do another $4 million movie, <laughs> another $5 million movie. Keep that formula. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I'll get off that. Uh, so what lessons do y'all think we should? Because I started thinking we didn't do this with The Conqueror, but maybe we should do this moving forward. All of these have lessons in them of these legendary lore segments of what not to do and things that are bad ideas. And we've touched on some of it, but if y'all had to, if y'all had to sum up like um, uh, lessons that are invaluable uh, after hearing all this, what would you say? <laughs> I mean, I don't know where to begin. This is such a cluster, you know? I mean, the whole writing thing, not really... It seems like nobody even really knew what they were shooting. You, I have not seen this this lovely film. Uh, definitely going to go home and watch it right now. <laughs> but Jeb described this film to me as a fever dream. And I could see that given what all of the scripts were and all of these things. But w when you're not having your director talk to your actors and your actors are drunk and everybody has no idea what's going on, that's a really, really bad thing. That is how people get hurt and people get... Uh, very burned out and it's not a good deal um so yeah i mean i would say you need to you need to decide on what this thing is that you're gonna make and then you should really have people who are um qualified to make it which is not saying that you shouldn't take a chance on somebody new but uh you know they have to be a a, a person who's not gonna dump hot coffee on somebody um don't hire pieces of shit. How about that? Yeah. I, I mean, not only do I 100% agree, but um, we also know that that's a tall ask. Well, <laughs> that's true. Uh, Justin, your thoughts? I still enjoy the movie uh, to a certain extent. Uh, I think it's a cult classic for, for, for my generation. Um, I wish I was there. <laughs> I wish I was there at least for a few days. I, I, I would have liked to have been there and seen it firsthand um, I, I, I would have liked to have like been run uh, like the crafty additional for like a week just to <laughs> yeah. like oh my god yeah, just as far back this as possible fucking yeah. crazy can you imagine can you imagine you're bringing the snack around and and it's let's say it's when the hot coffee pour is ha happening and you're going around going like who wants uh, some uh, mozzarella tomato cheese bites that I, I made for you guys? Oh, that guy looks like uh, he's going to need a doctor or a hospital. Um, anyway, these are quite tasty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you guys want to try. Yeah. I um, Trust your electricians. Two people electrocuted on this, right? At That'll least two that we know of. That we know of, yeah. <laughs> Check in. That we know of. The way... <laughs> the, I, I, it sounds like there's a lot more that went on behind the scenes. This is just the stuff that's been made public and, and a lot of productions, there's stuff that never sees the light of day. I mean, we've all certainly seen some crazy things, but 
there's also, I, I think for a movie like this, because the bad is so uh, escalated bad that the medium bad kind of gets lost in the mix. So, um, you know, like the fact that your two main actors were drinking on a daily basis and that's how they were coping with being miserable on the production. I mean, you don't have to be, you don't have to be even, even close to genius level to see that that's not good. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, for a number of, not just safety related, but the fact that they're improving their lines, that they just don't give a shit. And you're like, what are we even doing this for? Yeah, I mean, that, that's like the thing, too. I mean, I, I do remember you were talking about rewrites and constant rewrites and rewrites to the point where the actors wouldn't even try to memorize their lines. Um, when you get rewrites, it means, we talked about this, I think the last time we were here, Bob Marley, um, <laughs> it means lots of stuff for, for all the departments. You know, if there's a new scene, uh, like a new set, I mean, that goes from construction if there's a new prop, you know, props needs to know, the grips and electrics need to know exactly where it is that we're shooting so that they can light it. And, like, if those changes are happening all the time and nobody knows, it's almost impossible to be like, okay, wait, what? All right, let me, I'm the first idea, let me just read this real quick. Okay, cool. Do we even fucking have that set? We do? Okay, great. Do we have any <laughs> lights over there? No? Okay, how long will it take to rig this thing? I mean, those are, like, those are the things that just like will destroy your day. And then uh, and then let's say that you do get that and then all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, we got new rewrites, you know, and you come in and it's just sort of like all that work to get the thing ready that you weren't prepared for in the first place goes out the window and you gotta do it all over again until the next one's come. Yep. It's crazy. Uh, and you also bring a good point. Um, I, I didn't find anything about the AD team in this, but... God bless them for surviving this because this does sound like an 80 nightmare. It it, yeah. it, it sounds like these are the kind of things that like make my palms start to sweat, you know, um, <laughs> because it just sucks uh, when that, when, when those types of things happen. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think going back to uh, the, uh, the, the John Logazamo and um, Bob Hoskins, Bob Hoskins drinking the whole time we only hear about them two because they're the stars of the show. Right. But I'd imagine more than 75% of the crew was along those lines as well. Sure. Yeah. At least drinking or doing something. If, I mean, it, early nineties. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if they're doing it, you know, it just, if, if it's a known thing, then you're like, well, fuck it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Drink too. Yeah. Uh, it looks like uh, Louis Desposito. Uh, was the first AD. Wow. And yeah. uh, I'm assuming maybe a brother, Anthony uh, I, Desposito. I, I know him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I worked with him. Wow. Uh, I got a, and then his brother, Lou, is now, he's like the big Marvel guy. He's like a huge Marvel guy. Oh. Yeah. Wait. One of the main Marvel people, there's the woman that just got ousted. Wasn't her last name? De am I, am I remember that wrong? Victoria... Uh, crap. Oh, no, she's like an Alonzo or something. Never mind. Forget, yeah. Forget what I said. Yeah, I mean, Lou, that's Anthony's brother. Um, he's like the Marvel guy. I think he's a, the the Marvel producer. He's on all their stuff. That makes sense. He's probably very poor. Well, God bless him for not 
dying from any means on this show. Yeah. Because um, this would, I, this is the kind of show that I could see myself retiring early. And I'd be like, you know what? I think it's been a good run. I think I'm just going to go work <laughs> at that coffee shop <laughs> and that'll be fine. Or, or, or going out into the, into the world in your career afterward and getting all of the calls because you, know, you, you survived. You're the guy that survived that show. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to sum this whole thing up with Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, who's the actual creator of Mario. I thought he kind of summed this entire thing up very well. So he stated, uh, quoting, in the end, it was a very fun project that they put a lot of effort into. And then he continued, the one thing that I still have some regrets about is that the uh, is that the movie may have tried to get a little too close to what the Mario Brothers video games were, and in that sense, it became a movie that was about a video game rather than being an entertaining movie in and of itself. End quote. Very polite way to say <laughs> that it did not uh, go the way that you may have imagined. So, uh, let's see. Any final thoughts um, before we get out of here? That actually went a little bit faster than I was imagining because I thought we'd be talking about 19,000 writers for an hour. Um, I think what Shigeru Miyamoto was saying, is that how you say it? Yeah, no, that, that was very good. I think good. what he was saying was noble people. <laughs> <laughs> noble professionals, noble, right. Noble professionals. Um, uh, so I want to now uh, circle back to uh, the beginning when we were talking about uh, the voice, you know, in a world. And uh, if y'all can, help me figure out how we would take this movie and put it into that formula. Because it's certainly in a world, because we're in Dino Hatton, right? So we got that part. But it's in a world yeah. where you go to another world. <laughs> <laughs> and you're also Mario and Luigi. <laughs> But you're not also, really. But you kind of are from a fucking video game. And you're trying to save a princess who's just a white girl. So, Chris, do you remember the – you, you've played at least some of the game, right? Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. you know, you, you know how you can go down a pipe. Mario yes. can go down a pipe and it takes you into this underground kind of world where there's lots of coins and yeah. shit like that. In the movie – he, you go the the thing right. He go they they're plumbers, so they go into a pipe, mm -hmm. and it takes them into a new another Dino Hatton, mm -hmm. another dimension. Yeah, right or yeah. another alternate universe. Alternate whatever, universe, yeah. uh, Manhattan. They, that's right. a, that's a, even even the coins, the coins, which is the main thing in Mario Brothers, is coins. I, there's only like I think a mention, uh, a reference to coins at one point. The, in the yeah, movie. there's something about, that. yeah, yeah. But it's like, like oh, we got to go get the coins. Right, they, right. They, they don't really. There's nothing. And then that's it. Yeah. They, they don't. So uh, yeah. So uh, Chris, I think that was pretty good. Um, um, let's see. How did you sum that up? You said uh, in a world that's another world, not exactly world dimension place, <laughs> and you happen to be only two. Plumber type guys <laughs> can sort of maybe save a princess? Question mark. John Luizamo goes crazy, <laughs> and the guy from Roger Rabbit does too. Um, he was Pink's manager in, in Pink Floyd uh, the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's Bob Hoskins. That's good. All right, so 
let's get out of here. Uh, unfortunately, um, Zoe is not. Oh, wait. You're back from Guatemala, Zoe. Well, man, since you're here, you want to just take us out? One, two, better not suit. We want to hear from you, the audience. Do you have a behind the scenes story? Maybe you work in the industry or maybe you had a run in with production. You know, you live in New Orleans, New York, whatever, and some PA stopped you on the way to work and it was annoying. We want to hear about it. We want to hear about all of it. We love all the stories. Write us and maybe we'll read it on the show. Or maybe you just want to tell us that you love us or you really hate us and you want to fact check us because we're wrong about a lot of things. You control us, whatever you want to do. You might even want to guess where Joe or Chris are on any given day of the week. Uh, you can do that by emailing us at filmfolklorepodcast at gmail.com. It's filmfolklorepodcast at gmail.com. We do indeed want to hear from you. You can also find us on the social media. Instagram is Film Folklore Podcast. Facebook group is Film Folklore. Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at The Film Folk. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. We really want to hear from you. It's very important to us. Again, we work in the entertainment business, so we need a lot of validation. We're very pathetic, sad people, and we just, we really want to be reviewed. We want to know your honest opinion, and it means a lot to us, because you guys mean a lot to us. And for any of you that really like us and have some change burning holes in your pockets and, you know, just any money at all, like a credit card, we set up a donation with PayPal and Patreon. Links are in the show notes of this episode and our website. Money helps us do more fun things and we want to entertain you. Money helps you do more fun things, which helps us do more fun things, which is also helping you have fun. And it would be really nice. And we love you. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us today, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>